Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 120 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, fucking terrified of baboons. And joining us tonight, he is a freelancer for Total Film, it's Mr. Tim Coleman. Tim, hello. Hello sir, how are you doing? Very well, thank you, how are you? Yeah, I'm good man, I'm good. So, a hell of a selection (laughs) that you brought to the table this week, and um, a second consecutive first watch for Andy, which I think might be a first. Heading back to 1990 with Shackma. Now, you had a couple of things on the list, but this was very much top of the pile. I had never heard of this until you mentioned it. Why this one? So, I guess much as it's probably the same for a lot of people like our age that i kind of grew up on um watching a lot of horror movies from like the the rental store and you'd kind of go in and get like i don't know like five titles for 10 quid over the weekend and binge watch them with uh, your friends and i remember it was um some point in the 90s me and my friend ross harper rented freddy's dead and there was a trailer for shakma um <laughs> before freddy's dead and we'd already we already had a bit of a thing for like baboon attacks bizarrely we were like big fans of uh, of ren and stimpy and mm-hmm. um there's like a recurring baboon character sure, in there. Yeah. It's like an episode where this baboon joyfully gallops across a field and then inserts its finger, I think it's under Ren's, like into his eye socket and just rips his face right off. And this always gave Ross and I a, a lot of joy. And so then when we saw the trailer for Shackman, we're like, this looks like the live action version of uh, that kind of skip. <laughs> And just absolutely fell in love with it. But we, we couldn't actually like track down the, the film for ages. So it was like, like several years later, um, we got a call from Ross out of the blues and he'd, he'd found it finally in like a marketplace somewhere. And we, like, we both grew up in North Wales and he'd, he'd be like, I found it, man, I found it. And so, you know, we kind of um, got back together and, and finally watched it. I mean, like nowadays you can just watch it on Amazon Prime. But, you know, back then in those kind of early days of the internet, it was like, it took a lot of like passion and hard work trying to track down some of these cult titles and so it's, it's just got like a real place in my heart from that kind of period of my life i love the kind of long-form quest of that <laughs> yeah honestly it was years man years and years of just like you know checking out like um dodgy bootleggy kind of places in markets or or like mm. you know whenever you go into town or whatever but yeah so i've got it on dvd um even that is like a a ripoff of an old vhs as well as so like when i'm kind of rewatching it for today um it's still got like all like the tracking issues and stuff and for me like i i, I love all that stuff from the kind of tactility of that old you know analog tech and stuff so yeah for me like shakamar's really kind of emblematic of those grungy grindy video rental days have you revisited it many times in the years since then by the way also i'm completely reframing this as i i don't frame your search for this as like a casual search you just assume that like you and your mate just didn't have jobs for a really long time <laughs> oh no that you was know, it yeah i just gave up work gave up all relationships just commit myself <laughs> fully, you know i kind of loans from the bank just to kind of fund it no yeah um no to be honest like after that first watch i hadn't gone back to it and um so it was really really great to have an excuse to kind of actually revisit it and yeah you know it's probably 
a film which might struggle to live up to the amount of passion that went into trying to find it but nevertheless there's still like loads to enjoy in it and it's it's got like a very much a 3am in the morning beer and pizza kind of feel to it which I really do well I watched it tonight eating a Chinese so I can agree with that also big up to Ross for taking the time to find that for you oh yeah I mean like friends for life man friends for, like I, I don't even think I was living in the area at the time when he found it and but like you know we kind of specifically got back together for this like sacred moment of finally <laughs> watching the film I will meet you at a halfway point. You bring a telly, like a portable telly. I'll have a DVD player under my arm, and this is going to happen finally. It's almost like a cult, you know. We should have had like matching um, baboon tattoos or something that we could just. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a vision of him sitting, like surrounded by maps, like Henry Jones at the start of Last Crusade. (laughs) Yeah, or like you know, like Indy when he's like kind of getting the idol off of the. um... A little podium, but it's like a little golden baboon that he's trying to dislodge. <laughs> Andy, so this was the first watch for you as well. Mm. Did you have any kind of knowledge of this uh, beforehand at all? I've got to be honest with you, Mitch. I, I'm re- really surprised I'd never heard of Shakma before because I, I probably did see a trailer for it at some time because, much like Tim said, I, I was getting things like Freddy's Dead out of the video shop as well, so... I probably did see a trailer for it at some time. It's interesting that I'm coming into doing this kind of nature gone wild side quest on the minisodes kind of kicking off in November. Because mm-hmm. like when I was younger, I was really into films like Project X with Matthew Broderick and Monkey Shines, the Romero film. Mm-hmm. I'm just amazed I'd never seen this before. And uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. Tim, before we get into this properly, uh, we make everyone that comes on the show do one thing. And it is for the benefit of anyone who's listening to the show without having seen the film. So what we'll do is Andy's going to put 30 seconds on the clock, or at least it may be there already, actually. Oh, of course it is, Mitch. It's, it's ready before I press record. <laughs> Tim, I'm going to count you in, and we're going to ask you to give us your best 30-second synopsis of Shakma. You can go right through the end of the film, if you like. If you'd like to do a little bit of scene setting, that's also fine. Uh, but yeah, like uh, just going on to that. How you feel? Um, yeah, cool. So we're going full spoilers, or we'll certainly go full spoilers in the fullness of time. Whether you want to do that right now is up to you. It's not a film known for its plot. We we'll go for the elevator pitch, and then yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. Three, two, one, go. So following some experiments on primate aggression, Shakmar becomes super aggressive uh, to the point that the uh, doctors experimenting on him look to destroy him. But Shakmar uh, instead becomes even more incensed and furious by their attempts to do away with him. And one dark night when the med students are playing some kind of live action role play uh, lock in, he Shakmar uh, escapes and proceeds to eat their faces. That was absolutely perfect. That was right up to the final second. That was perfect. Spot on. One of the oh, best we've ever had. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can kind of tell that Shakmar... Is like, you know, I live and breathe it, you know, so it's kind of... <laughs> by by the way, Mitch, I've got to say, yeah. Tim touched on it there in his synopsis, but this is something I've talked about quite a lot on the show in the past, is primate proclivity for attacking the face and genitals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that happens a lot in this film. Yeah, yeah. And uh, before all that, we do open on a very imposing looking building and an incredibly dramatic title card. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I mean, even before that, I, I don't know if you want to touch on the trailer, which oh. may be the greatest trailer ever committed to film. <laughs> it did sell us both instantly on wanting to talk about it this week. Because, <laughs> like, you know, trailers normally have, like, the voiceover guy who's doing, like, the deep baritone, like, in a world, you know, and he's kind of, like, building it up. But the um, the narrator for the Shakma trailer just has zero composure and literally just ends up screaming the name of the, <laughs> the, the film, which... It's a level of passion. I'd like to see more, you know. I'd like to see like that on the next Chris Nolan movie. 
<laughs> Definitely. I would have liked it if the trailer voiceover was like, you know, like in the style of like a Rob Schneider comedy, you know, and it's like, they're about to find out that euthanizing a baboon is harder than it looks. <laughs> I watched the trailer and I thought, wow, look at the amount of like shots of this baboon attacking this door. This is going to be incredible. But then there's much more of baboons attacking doors. Man, if you go on YouTube, there's like a supercut called Shakmar Hates Doors. So you can just, you know... <laughs> <laughs> and it's 40 minutes long I mean, absolutely i mean it's not a long film man but like you could probably say there's a really sizable percentage of this film is people walking down corridors and mm. shakmar attacking doors yeah there's an 100%. incredible amount of zigzagging around this building like back and forth mm. to the, the same rooms that we've already already visited um and that quite a lot actually of uh, monkey penis <laughs> Well, you know, it's, a, it's the 21st century, man, you know. Um, yeah, you know, we live in enlightened times. I'm glad they didn't put him in a wee costume, like a wee, you know, you know like a wee, a wee jumpsuit, <laughs> a wee kind of spaceman's outfit or something. Like, I'm glad he was just, he yeah, was allowed I mean, to just be. As nature intended, man, letting it all. all yeah, because we, previously exactly. we did yeah. the lawnmower man. And the monkey in that, okay, the poor yeah. little monkey in that, he's dressed up in a suit like, I don't mm. know, like some kind of weird Power Ranger. He's got a big virtual reality <laughs> helmet on. He looks preposterous. Let monkeys be monkeys. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I mean, although would Shakamar be improved slightly if he was wearing like a, a Power Ranger outfit? I don't know. Like with with all the violence as well and all the you know the uh, the face biting, but he's dressed in like a little sparkly suit. Might give it a little <laughs> bit of extra. Yeah. There's quite a lot of moments in this film, and every time it happened, I laughed. When you see Shakmar running on two mm. legs, I yeah, think yeah, if yeah. you saw Shakmar running towards you in two legs in a wee outfit, you might be immediately charmed until you realised that his plan was nefarious and he was going to eat your face. That's it. I mean, I guess you'd have to reframe it slightly, like because because in the film the whole thing is that he's so amped up and super aggressive, he's just like this kind of absolute force of nature. Um, but if you kind of reframed it slightly where, you know, like, is it uh, Professor Farnsworth, Futurama, like, you know, everyone's in favour of saving Hitler's <laughs> brain, but you want to put it in the body of a great white shark, something you've gone too far. If you'd had it like where Shakmar had like, I don't know, the brain of an executed serial killer put into him. And then, yeah, he was like dressed up as a, a little Power Ranger running around. I mean, I, I feel like I'm kind of pitching Shakmar too here. So, you know, if I, I've got any uh, producers listening, like this could this could be it, you know. Yeah, like Shakmar too, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> oh, man. This, this thing writes itself. <laughs> We see um, what looks like kind of high impact surgery going on. Mm. At the start of this, at least my, my gauge of how high impact it was, was one, how bloody it was, and two, the amount of sweat on the surgeon's brow. <laughs> you know, so the surgeon, we should say, is, um, is Roddy McDowell. Absolutely. Who, perhaps in a like non-ironic way, is one of his famous roles is in Planet of the Apes, which is like a nice little meta nod to uh, like the monkey business. But I mean, <laughs> nice. I don't... <laughs> You know, yeah, he's very sweaty, but he's also, if you look at like his face mask, that's not a medical mask. That's like the kind of thing you wear for like when you're doing woodwork or something. So it's it's kind of like, yeah, super, super low budget. But yeah, kind of like gruesome. Like they literally, you know, the opening scene is they've got poor Shakmar sedated, cut a little square out of his skull and just started injecting stuff into his brain with like pretty much no explanation about what they're doing. And it's, it's just like, yeah, you know, just injecting rage serum into a baboon's head. Mm. Also, no. the baboon himself is a celebrity baboon of sorts because uh, this is Typhoon who played the friendly mm. baboon, the first flesh creature to travel through Seth Brundle's teleporter in the fly. He did indeed, yeah, yeah. Although, you know, he's a lot friendlier in that because um, when he leaps out of, um, you know, the, the telepod, he's quite cuddly and jumps into Jeff's arms while here, you know, his... He eat his face? His, yeah, basically, he's, he's jumping into people's arms to eat them. Which is mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. This guy's got range. <laughs> I mean, you know, cuddly, 
or murder. I mean, that's two speeds. <laughs> so after this kind of surgery scene happens, and we'll have to double back to that in a second, we talk about the effects of what they've done here. We meet our kind of de facto protagonist here, Sam, mm-hmm. and uh, Bradley, who I kind of figured for a protagonist and uh, misjudged that pretty wildly. Bradley is the slightly creepy bearded fellow, yeah? So Yeah, mm-hmm, that's um, right. Who seems to insist on talking like he is and, you know, perpetually up to something really dodgy. You know, you kind of don't know what, he, what he's doing, but he's kind of explaining um, uh, to Sam that they're going to be doing some like live action Dungeons and Dragons type thing, but seems to have written an entire computer game to have a simulation of the building to facilitate yeah. it, which seems like a, a lot of hard work, you know, like considering that yeah, they're not playing it electronically, they're playing it live action, but he's kind of designed this kind of interactive thing on C-Basic or something. Yeah, this kind of like digital interface for this live action game. Yeah, I feel like that's yeah. entirely for the benefit of Roddy McDowell's character more than anyone else in the, that's involved because he kind of takes on the role of Dungeon Master, I suppose. And the game itself, I, I was trying to take notes and trying to figure it out and then it got to the point where I was like, I don't know what the hell the, this game is. There's like elements of super mario brothers because you have to rescue a princess there's elements of nightmare because there's a weird computer interface there's elements of the raid because you've got to reach the top floor i guess donkey kong as well it's <laughs> it's incredibly mm, confusing i am confused by it but i'm i'm not a D player so i kind of had always in good faith assumed that you know, for those people who are into live action role play or, or D, maybe it made a bit more sense but certainly to the casual viewer it's borderline baffling and you just kind of end up going along with it but then i imagine that dungeons and dragons takes place very much on the horizontal within a very mm. enclosed area i didn't imagine that it went horizontal and vertically no i mean it is just an elaborate um setup and, and actually you know, to its credit actually a fairly decent setup that it gives you this kind of game playing setup, which is a legitimate excuse for everyone to break up on their own across this building at night. And so it kind of sets it up nicely that when Shakmar later breaks loose and starts um, knocking people off, he's, it, it makes sense. So you kind of gives you a rationale for the, uh, them being spread out and separated. It also kind of means that some things can be done that are ultimately for the sake of suspense or drama for later on when Shakma escapes. Like turning the lights off and kind of locking doors and things like that are all framed as ways to make the game more challenging. So when mm. these turn out to be massive obstacles later, it doesn't feel like forced. It feels like or it feels like it's seeded quite nicely, I think. Yeah, definitely. Because there's a big thing about like trying to you know unlock doors to escape and like the fact that a lot of the doors are locked. It kind of, it all, it all makes sense. And there's like a nice little setup as well that they can't communicate with each other because although they've all got walkie-talkies, um, they're all on different frequencies. So they only go back to Roddy McDowell as as the game master. And so they can only speak with him, but not with each other. Yeah, I thought that was quite a nice touch as well. That's an- another thing that we have Bradley to thank for. He um, altered the frequencies on the walkie-talkies so they could only talk to Roddy McDowell Sorensen. But like between that and, yeah, like you say, building an entire computer game from scratch as a simulation of a multi-story building. I feel like... This evening in this game is the culmination of like four to six years of work for him. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Like, you get the impression this is like a regular thing for them. Like, mm. so in the opening scenes, they're like, oh, so you're going to be playing the game this evening? And it's like, yeah, yeah. You know, as if it's like a regular like Friday night poker thing. But like, it seems like a lot of effort, you know. It's incredibly and, elaborate. And it's $500 riding on this. I think it's 500 ahead as well. So I think it's close. What? So like, bearing in mind mm-hmm. they're students. So like, between them, they've got like about 1500 in the key. Um, you know, back in 1990, which is obviously even more in today's money. And you kind of think, okay, so you guys are medical students, but you're super minted. And you've got all this free time to basically build this kind of fantastical world. Like, it, you know, it's kind of, uh, yeah, not like my experience of being a student, I guess I would say. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would say that um, I never had £500 to liberally throw around <laughs> on, a, <laughs> on a bet. I know, right? Yeah. 
Uh, I want to talk quickly about the characters that we get introduced to at the start here before we get kind of too far into the game and things. So we do have Sam, who I would say it's fair to say is kind of your main character. Sure. Uh, who's kind of like, I think very much the kind of archetype of the kind of protagonist you had in these movies at this time, this very conventionally handsome, charismatic, wisecracking kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, his love interest, Tracy. Also got Gary, who I think is probably the side character who's given the least to do. Yeah, fair. Richard, <laughs> who is just another, another one of the surgeons who's kind of like joining the game, but doesn't seem to have played it before. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Richard's like a, a funny one because he seems to be getting involved in the game because he's trying to ingratiate himself with Sorensen, uh, the professor. But he is so rubbish at the game. He just like, you know, he's really not invested sure. in it at all and just ends up like rubbing Sorensen up the wrong way by how not into the game he is. So it's, it's, he's, a, he's a funny one. Yeah, Richard's... I did think that was quite weird because he's like dead keen to get involved and is and then is the minute that he's actually in it, he just gives off this unbelievable vibe that he could not give any less of a shit about it. Yeah, well, he's, like, intentionally trying Much. to, like, sabotage the game so it finishes early, so he can go home and, and like, spend the evening with his date, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it's kind yeah. of, yeah, kind of character motivations are a bit all over the place because clearly that's not going to win him any brownie points for Sorensen. Don't want to really blow by the fact that uh, Tracy was Tina in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, yeah, Amanda Wiss, so... Yeah, arguably one of the most famous scenes in horror, her death. Yeah, she's pretty good in this as well. I would say. I mean, it's, it's a fairly thankless role, but you know, like she, she's she's solid. She, she does well with it. Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree. I think that like, yeah, she's she is a little bit of a kind of stock girlfriend character, but what she's given to do, she does well. I think. Yeah, I mean, we could probably get onto it a bit later on, but um, as with probably a lot of eighties to early nineties horror, some of the gender stuff in it is a bit problematic I, I think probably the thing with um uh Shakmar is it becomes so laughable by the end it's kind of like almost a heightened super camp version of some of those tropes that we see earlier in the 80s which kind of maybe is it's a bit of a saving grace with it but yeah it, it's not the most enlightened representation of women in horror that you're ever going to see no i don't suppose although um i mean yeah like you say i mean this kind of era is not really known for championing female characters in that way we do have a final boy in this rather than a final girl so that's, sure. that's like a, a little wrinkle because you know in a different version of the story you'd have tracy as the surviving uh, character or the main character who has to kind of face down shakmar at the end mm -hmm. yeah, yeah speaking of shakmar we get a kind of our first good look at him here now see what they've done to him here at the start what they've injected into him my understanding was that they had injected something in there that was designed to kind of make him less aggressive and it's been a wild miscalculation. Do I have that wrong? You know, th that's what I got from it as well. But I, I, again, I think like finer details about what's actually happening are probably a little bit, you know, by and by. Because like, my kind of memory of it from when I watched it a few days ago was um, they injected this stuff into his brain and yeah, Sorensen comes in and goes, oh yes, it's supposed to make him less aggressive, but you know, sometimes it makes him more aggressive. It happens. And I'm like, dude, how does that happen? It's like the exact <laughs> opposite of what you, it's like, not just like it didn't work, it actually she did the exact opposite and like baboons are like you know famous for being like super aggressive anyway so it's kind of just like oh yeah we just made it like 100 times worse oh well yeah. <laughs> that's science for you baby so yeah like these paracetamol some of them cure your headaches some of them give you a migraine oh exactly yeah that's it it's absolutely and I'm... then like there's a, there's a further mistake uh sam has to put shakmar down and he's getting distracted when he's choosing um what uh medicine to euthanize him with and he picks up something, puts it down, and then picks up a adjacent bottle without really paying attention. And it's not ever really explained, you know, because I'm not like a doctor. I, I don't know what those chemicals do. But you kind of get the, the kind of implication that Sam has then made it worse still by, like, not giving him the drugs to kill him, but giving him something else just to kind of amp him up even further. And so it's just like a catalogue of medical catastrophes, really, that has kind of created the super baboon by the end of it. 
<laughs> and there's a reasonably high baseline of just like fundamental incompetence underpinning this whole thing, though, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you got like these rich students kind of just playing like D and D late at night, tinkering in monkeys' heads, and just like injecting <laughs> goodness knows what into them. It's just like. <laughs> everyone's just like this surgery is rushed to like a level that borders on illegal like everyone's mm. just in a rush to get this day out of the way so they can play this game and have fun and everything else be damned <laughs> yeah i mean it doesn't make as a medical institution it doesn't make a lot of sense like it's, a, it's clearly like a medical school of some kind but then you go you see yeah. Sorensen's office later on he's got like a ouija board on the bookcase behind him it's like <laughs> I don't know, like, how many scientists have, like, a Ouija board on their, in their university office? It's probably a small number, you know. <laughs> I would say probably, yeah. Negligible, yeah. right? Shackman, yeah, we realise at this point that whatever they've tried to do here has gone to shit almost immediately. Uh, Shackman breaks free, he attacks, if I remember rightly, Richard, and we find out that he's going to have to get put down for this wanton act of aggression. A reason is contrived for this to wait until the morning. Is it? I, th- I thought that they killed Shackman, or they believed they had, because ri- there's a bit yeah. where Richard kind of watches Shackman's fingers because he thinks he sees them twitching. Yeah, so, like, Sam gives uh, Shackman what he, what he thinks he euthanizes them. And then they wheel his corpse into like the incinerator room, and um, there's a bit there, isn't it, where Richard is writing on his little cause of death man, um, <laughs> which seems like a bit cruel. I know like the monkey bit him and all that, but like you know, come on, dude. I mean, interestingly, um, if you kind of like freeze frame that a bit, you can see that Shakma's name is misspelled on the paper, and actually uh, he's written down as Shakma. Um, oh, no. which maybe goes a little way to going back to the trailer, like the over enthusiastic narrator. One of his other classic lines is. And introducing Shakmar, shocking audiences everywhere, which only really makes sense if you think his name was originally Shakmar and they maybe changed it. By the way, I've got a, I've got a few puns written down on Shakmar's name here, so we'll get to them as they arrive. <laughs> Quite organically. But yeah, I can't um, remember why Richard does, kind of doesn't put him in the incinerator. He makes the decision just to leave him on the slab. I think the decision it's, is made to keep the incinerating to the next day. That's right. Yeah, no, no, you're you're right there. You're right. Withdrawn. Uh, Sorensen <laughs> says that um, he needs to do like some kind of autopsy or something mm. and that has to wait until the morning you're right that's what the change all he's going to do is just more brain doodling yeah but you know man's got to have a hobby <laughs> yeah <laughs> aside from the weird <laughs> games with children that he plays at night yeah just like ah, oh, you know i just want to go like have a few beers like play with my ouija board play D and then just cut up a monkey's brain i mean you know it's <laughs> like... just, just just usual guy in his yeah. 50 stuff what's that's your it, perfect man. sunday <laughs> um, we meet Richard's girlfriend Laura at this point who is understandably quite raging at the fact that um, what seems to have been a pre-planned date night is now out the window because he's playing a three hour Dungeons and Dragons game but like at this point I think we've, we've seen we've seen Gary talk to a love interest who doesn't seem to be a medical professional we've, we've met Tracy who as far as I can tell doesn't work there either and now Laura is like does everyone just come and go as they please in this place and Kim uh, Richard's sister hmm yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we meet Kim because she's going to play the role of the princess, which basically, as tradition dictates, involves kind of waiting obliviously on the top floor or air quotes in the tower until somebody comes and rescues you. And when I realised that she was going to be obviously spending most of the time uh, upstairs, kind of quietly being in love with Sam and playing out romantic set pieces in her head, I was like, is she going to be the final girl here? Mm-hmm. 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 I also like that she's taken yeah. it upon herself, herself to dress up in medieval garb. This seems like very much a decision that she's made as opposed to something she's been told to do because no one else is dressed up in kind of period-appropriate costume. This is like another one of these kind of slightly anachronistic details 
details that they've they've put enough effort into um, setting this thing up that they've taken over an entire six story building. They've written an entire computer game, but nobody can be bothered to go like, put on a hat or something to dress up as, uh, you know. Apart from like yeah, like you said, Kim and uh, Richard comes with like a he, he plays Nemesis, which is like a demon character, and mm. uh, he just gets like a kind of a Wolfman ha- uh, mask that he just. But, you know, he's not really into it either. So it, it's kind of this really inconsistent lack of dedication to the cause. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think if I, I think if I was Bradley, I'd feel a bit slighted, you know, because he's obviously mm. done a lot of the real kind of, like, legwork in making this happen. I think that I would feel like everybody else was half-arsing it a little bit. Yeah, that's it. But, I mean, like, again, like, cause Bradley is so delightfully creepy. Like, everything he says, you kind of you kind of half wonder if he himself is a serial killer or something, you know. I mean, you know, that could have been, like, an interesting wrinkle if they'd gone that direction. But, of course, he then becomes the first one to meet his fate at the hands of Shakmar. Yeah, and um, we're really not far off that at this point, because um, evening comes, anyone who's not playing the game vacates, it's start time, and kind of at this point as well, you know, you see people, like a few people, starting their quests and communicating with Sorensen, and they're all trying different things and going in and out of different rooms. And I remember thinking, I was like trying to take notes as I was watching it, and I was like, God, I really hope I don't have to remember where everyone is on the map here. Yeah. I, like I say, I gave um, up. I didn't even try. And yeah, as it turns out, it, it's kind of a moot point, because I think you're quite right, Tim. I think that, like, um, I, th- like, I think the setup to this film is a really, really strange one. Like, the, like, the way it falls together just, like, does not resemble anything that I really see happening in real life. But also, I quite like it. And um, <laughs> despite the fact that it, like, doesn't hang together particularly well when you scrutinize it, I was just, like, very quick to just be like, okay, so all of these medical research students are going to play a live action role playing game that involves commandeering an entire six story building in the evening while their boss slash teacher oversees it um and i was like yeah sure okay (laughs) no absolutely and like once the game gets in motion it becomes quickly pretty unimportant about who is on what floor apart from the fact that kim's on the top floor um and that they can't get out through the the ground floor but like yeah certainly in like the uh the second half of the film after a while i just completely became like oh why why are we going back up to the fifth floor oh, i don't don't really matter it doesn't you know it, it's just an excuse for them to go on these little like um side quests trying to find different things like oh yeah we need to have like this kind of uh vague motivation to go wandering around around the building but really mm-hmm. the, the logic of it doesn't massively hold together it, it's just like an excuse to kind of get them yeah in, into like a, a series of uh, encounters with shakmar across across the building yeah yeah i mean like once we reach this point or the point that we're about to get to the conceit really very abruptly kind of stops mattering doesn't it yeah no absolutely and i think in a way this is why it's kind of a perfect 3 a.m film is that if you're watching it when you're slightly tired you're only half paying attention. You maybe you got some beers. You kind of got some friends around. You really only need to give like the very minimal attention to to what's actually happening because it's just an excuse after that point for monkey mayhem. It's quite possible if you were in that mindset and in that place that you every time you glanced up, you might just see a monkey attacking a door. Yeah, I mean, we're all assuming it's just one monkey, dude. But like you. You know, it could be, <laughs> it could be, it could be multiple Shackmars on every floor. Now, that's the Shackmar sequel that I want. James Cameron's Shackmars, you know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I kind of had written down that Bradley like seemed to be progressing quite well in the game, uh, mm. and I was like, also. Bradley was in it for like a minute at the start, and then was absent for about a quarter of an hour, and here he is like kicking about doing quite a lot of stuff I was like, he's definitely gonna die first yes mm. yeah and he does uh, and he does and what we'll say is that once shakma starts ripping people's faces off and throats out and things once he starts doing that he really doesn't stop like when this film locks into the killing it really goes for it does not fuck around no and from this point on you could almost talk about it as a slasher film as well because it, it is about the characters being picked off one by one 
um, and walking around. So, you know, instead of Camp Crystal Lake or whatever, it's this medical lab. Um, but one of the things that's kind of charming about it is, although it is fairly relentless, the kills are more or less the same. Um, you know, the slashes are normally characterized by mm. really exotic and creative deaths. And it's just like, nah, he's just going to eat his face again. Yep. <laughs> uh, another, another, another throat tear. Yeah. If you kind of like tune into it, it's, it's just like really charming. I would have liked to um, see Shackma just club someone's head to bits. <laughs> right, right. Oh, you know, well, there is actually. I don't know if you want to jump onto the next kill after Bradley. Sure, um, Richard. It's, it's slightly different, which is which is Richard because he makes the schoolboy error of trying to fight back using a jug of hydrochloric acid. Which Shakmar promptly <laughs> knocks into his face, and so like, <laughs> Richard gets like the double whammy of having his throat torn out and his face melted off, and so um, that, that's a little bit of texture and a little, a little bit of a caustic <laughs> turn. <laughs> the, the moral of the story is never attack a baboon with acid. You just think, like, dude, because he he gets he, he discovers Bradley's body. Um, he sees Shakmar there. He runs away into like a kind of supply closet, holds the door closed, and he's like, "He could have just stayed there, but he's like, oh no, look beside me, I've got this little jar of hydrochloric acid. I'm going to just pour me some of that and throw it on." I'm like, no, nah, mate, you're just kind of just asking for it, aren't you? If you have acid in your face, I understand that baboons are less inclined to eat it. That's what you're saying. Maybe it was like a, a tactical decision. He's like, oh, if yes. I melt my own face off, yeah. I think we all know who the real winner is here, Shaq. <laughs> also, I just something... need to douse myself in this acid. <laughs> <laughs> something I did notice, though, is that Shakma does appear to be eating people after the fact. Yeah. Which is which is, which is is a bit of a break in the MO for primate attacks, isn't it? I don't really know yeah, much I mean, beyond pro- much that they, they eat your face and genitals. It's probably like maybe worth just saying that actually as a, as a side note, like, baboons are super dangerous. Like, I was watching a few, like, you know, watching an interview with um, the owner of, of Typhoon. He was saying like actually as animals they're just like super volatile and they get set off really easily they just go into these heightened states really easily so even something like yawning at them that kind of like opening of one's mouth is like a uh, a sign that you want to fight them so if you yawn in a baboon's direction they're just going to come at you and, and have a go and like literally try yeah, and it's a te- that's a teeth thing i think something that's a, it's like a sign of aggression um this might be a good junction yeah. mitch just to quickly drop in some dun 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 Baboon facts. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. We'll kick I it off. I hoping you'd do this. Well, yeah, of course, of course. Anytime we do an animal-related film, I've got to get some facts in. The world's largest monkeys, baboons, um, and they weigh as much as a human child. This one will okay. interest you guys, I think. Uh, the largest baboon is the Chakma baboon. Chakma. Chakma. Oh. Sounds quite okay. close to Chakma. They can live in groups of uh, 50 to 300 individuals. Yeah, but from how many households? <laughs> not now yeah of course they're, they're, they're separated um, they were revered as a god in ancient Egypt the baboon okay uh, they do not have prehensile tails like other monkeys oh yeah mm. okay and uh, I think most importantly the question on everyone's lips is what's the red arse all about <laughs> Well, I can tell you that the swollen red bottom of a female baboon, who they obviously have far more aggressively confrontational bottoms, I think it's fair to say, uh, has long been thought to be an irresistible come-hither signal to males. However, the female baboon's famously red bottom is a sign of sexual readiness. And when female baboons ovulate, their bottoms swell making it clear to available males that they are fertile. Well, you, you saved the best for last on that one. i got to hand it to you. Yeah. I think there was a, a bit of a, a rumour at the time that, you know, the way they got um, Typhoon to attack the doors is by putting a female baboon on the other side. But apparently, like, the trainer was saying that Typhoon just really wasn't interested in lady baboons. And actually, all they had to do to get him to kind of go absolutely mental on those doors was 
just to see his train every we just come at him you know so it, it was apparently like quite you know easy to aggravate and but quite easy for the trainer to bring down afterwards so they would then make themselves small and get down to his level and, and like stroke him and he would calm down quite right. easily but wow yeah i mean i think when you see that like how amped up he is like i thought i was a little bit concerned perhaps that whether they'd done something to typhoon to kind of make him like that had they perhaps maltreated him in some way but fucked with his brain uh, well that's it i mean they actually did inject a rage serum into his brain uh, also no, good to see that typhoon's such a consummate professional that he was unswayed by the arrival of an attractive female well that's it oh he didn't even he didn't even need um an attractive lady baboon to kind of get in his eye and he was just like no nah, i just want to fight <laughs> He might just not have fancied her. I mean, they did say, like, I don't think they even had a female baboon on set, but they were like, when they did perhaps try and get him to mate um, back at the enclosure, he just wasn't bothered. He was like, no, just living the bachelor <laughs> life. That's when yeah. I like, you know, just fight actors and run around labs and do my own thing. Thanks. <laughs> and why not? At this point, Sorensen uh, is starting to get the vibe that something is not quite right. He heads downstairs and is very quickly proven right and indeed killed. What I would say is, um, I was curious about this, Tim, and I was wondering if you knew anything. Does a bloodier cut of this film exist? Because I feel like, um, obviously, like there's a limited amount you can do in terms of mm. uh, showing someone being mauled to death by a baboon. But like, there's a lot of off-camera deaths in this film. Yeah, no, I've, I've certainly got that impression. Um, I've got a uh, UK DVD on it, which is just like um, a copy off of a old pan and scan VHS tape. And it's fairly discreet in the level of gore. Um, but when you read around it online, some people have talked about how violent it is. I do get the impression maybe there's like another cut out there. I'm going to have to probably end up getting an import or something to see if it, we've got uh, a longer cut maybe in the States or in Europe somewhere that, that is a bit more to it. The journey begins again. Oh, that's it. I'm <laughs> going to have to go on the road again. <laughs> well, no, 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 with like eBay and, and Amazon, it's like an easy thing. But yeah, back in the early 90s, it was a different different. No, yeah. So after Sorensen dies, Tracy and uh, Sam have a standoff with Ratman. They escape. Tracy says that she thinks that she saw Richard's hand move because they came mm. across his body. And uh, so Sam wants to go and rescue him. But I kept thinking about it being like, if Richard is still alive, he's not going to go on to live much of a life after this. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of people with like, you know, half eaten, melted faces. So, yeah, go. To... concave chests concave chests yeah yeah i mean i is it because shakma's eating him at that stage and so he might be twitching because shakma's literally chewing on him i mean potentially i certainly wouldn't put too many eggs in the he's still alive basket if i was them <laughs> no no i think that it's like sam is not the best tactician over the pace here really <laughs> but... um i don't think I, I, like I, I don't think it's necessarily that his his journey and his uh his kind of interactions with shakma are punctuated by massive tactical blunders but i think that generally he like he doesn't he doesn't make the wisest decisions a lot of the time but he does do some uh when um tracy kind of takes cover and hides in a cupboard type thing that shakma kind of almost gets at he he manipulates the environment quite cleverly to get him away and get them to safety yeah up to a point but like i think when you look at that scene it wouldn't have taken much for him to have actually shut shakma and locked him in an office at that, at that stage but he kind of instead leaves one door open as he kind of legs it around so he does kind of yeah he, he manages to get shakmar away from her but um he's not he's not thinking clearly about how he could have contained him in, in like, one of the offices but two steps forward one step back kind of guy i mean and who are who are we to judge i mean i've not had to like face down um you know a rapid boon so like you know you, sure. you just got to think on your toes so i imagine there is a seed of a plan forming here and it involves them using uh what they what they call a high intensity light strobe and an attempt to blind mm. shakmar so that they can kind of make their escape a little bit and that plan is yeah. useless it does fuck all <laughs> 
Yeah, it feels like a little reference maybe to um, Hitchcock's uh, Rear Window, where like you know Jimmy Stewart uses that approach in, in its final moments to try and blend the uh, um, the killer in that film. But but yeah, like literally, Shackman just looks at him like what? Like he just literally doesn't he barely blinks, does he? It just kind of has zero effect on him. <laughs> So like I enjoy basically every time in this film that we get to see Shackma like trashing stuff. There's a scene where he kind of like mauls a computer and trashes a laboratory and stuff like that. Love all that. Um, get a decent amount of that before we rejoin Kim upstairs. At that point, it was just like, see, when all this was going on in this research building and there was this oblivious girl upstairs dressed as a medieval princess, that was the point <laughs> that I cycled back around and was like, this is the weirdest film. Yeah, I mean, totally, it's all over the place, but it's kind of the charm, right? It's, it does feel a little bit cobbled together in the latter half. Just to say on the music as well, like the whole thing is kind of underscored by this kind of pretty intense, almost like Casio-like music, which, you know, I'm a big fan of, but it's kind of super mm. overly dramatic, but part of the appeal. Definitely. I, th- I I wrote that down really early doors, that I think that, like, even when the actual kind of action doesn't feel particularly um, striking or important or pivotal, the music treats every single thing that happens in this film as an event that needs underscored. <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. People walking down a corridor, peering around the corner, yeah, it's just like, you know, and it's just like maintained in this, this constant level of intensity, which is really enjoyable. Yeah, Sam and Kim are reunited at this point. Uh, Sam gets to the top floor, finds Kim. She doesn't come out right away because he doesn't say the code phrase and he's furious at her about it, which I think is quite harsh because he doesn't have a fucking clue what's going on at this point. Yeah. Although, he, to be fair, he does. I think he's covered in blood by that point because he gets a lot of blood. Yes. <laughs> when he finds, sorry, and she's not like, hey man, why are you covered in blood? What's going on? You know, but yeah, he probably could have taken a minute to say, half the people are dead by this point. Come on, we need to get out of here. Yeah. That's right. Never I mean, actually, uh, I don't think he mentions it at all. <laughs> no, it's a, like, a bit of a pet hate of mine in films in general when you kind of feel like just communicate with each other people. Like it, it's a, like a one sentence bit of exposition that would really help the other character. Get a handle on why you were so like so panicked. You could get it all out in one breath. You yeah, could be like, I... look, look, we need to go, we need to go kill a baboon. Your brother's dead. Um, everyone's dead. Uh, it's eating faces. His faces everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sam gets kind of furious at her for not cottoning on right away to what's going on but speaking of furious we do rejoin Laura at this point uh, Richard's girlfriend who I'm quite happy to admit I had fully forgotten existed <laughs> mm, yeah yeah well at this point like she she as a character doesn't really have any defining features beyond she's arrived to collect Richard who is now you know, melted on the floor of the lab. And so she's sitting outside with, you know, the engine running and that just gives her like a nice little set piece where Kim's trying to, and Sam are trying to chuck stuff out of the window, trying to get her attention, but she's just listening to some, to some you know, late 80s, early 90s hair pop. So yeah, it's kind of like a nice little moment where they're trying to get her attention unsuccessfully. And I think that that's kind of, that's all that really needs to be. I feel like as they're figuring out what they're going to do to kind of like tackle this as a kind of setting up for the third act standoff kind of thing, this is the only point over the measure of this that I felt like the momentum starts to falter a wee bit. Okay. But I've just written down lots of agonized conversations, hardly any baboon. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it can't be all baboon all the time. I understand that. Oh, or can it? You know, I mean, <laughs> you don't have to wait for long, Mitch, because Gary gets it next, and his death is brutal. Like it's like they saved all the really strong baboon attack stuff for him dying, because you see quite a lot of that. Yeah, and that, from a pacing point of view, his death is handled quite well because you get the moment where he's now going to go up in the elevator and i think tracy manages to warn him that he can't go to level five so he goes okay i'm gonna go to six but by that point like shaq goes like full jurassic park and presses the button on the elevator so that the elevator will stop at five and then doors open i think that that attack commences with um tracy just hearing the screams mm. um as gary gets uh, eaten in the elevator and they 
yeah, quite effective in terms of like building up the tension. Where yeah. he's kind of the elevator is just taking him up to meet his fate. Got to say, I do love the yeah. reveal of Shackma pressing all the lift buttons. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I did a mental kind of character inventory at this point, and everyone's dead at this point apart from Kim and Sam, right? Tracy, yeah. she's not oh, dead and, yet. And, and Tracy at that point. Does Tracy die off camera? Sort of. As in, like, um, as in, like, as in, like, her body is discovered rather than we see her die. She's pursued into the toilets, and so she dies an ignoble death in the loose. You see her like trying to climb up on top of the cistern and then get into like an air duct, and then like Sharkmar basically just grabs her and pulls her down into the cubicle, and, and then later on her body's discovered. Yes, that's right. Now, Sam locates some keys to get them out of the building here, but obviously a few pieces missing from that puzzle. A lot still to do. He gets back and finds that Kim has left him a note saying that she's off to find Richard. And at this point, I feel like everybody in the film who was alive when Richard died gets a turn at finding his body. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, going back to the fact that he had his face melted off, maybe it's just like a good excuse just to kind of parade that particular special effects because although the i think the animal attacks themselves are quite impressive it's probably worth saying that the majority of bodies when they're seen at least in this cut it's just the axes lying down with uh, fake blood on them sure um, so there's not a great deal of injury detail apart from let me see richard and his like the eye socket for his skull is exposed so maybe it's just about getting bang for your buck out of like, those effects yeah kim i think i think it's fair to say unsurprisingly because she does come across as a bit of a timid creature for the most part of this her attempt to go downstairs and find richard and things like that she is not long for this world. No, bless her. No, she's kind of walking into a trap. So she, she goes down into it and Shakmar is, you know, just waiting there and, and welcomes her with open jaws, really. So unfortunately, she's, I think she sees her dead brother and then that, that's it. She gets gobbled up as well. Can I just quickly mention, Mitch, it's something I forgot, but I, I don't want to let it go by. Mm-hmm. When um, Kim's kind of trying to figure out the various items to attract Laura's attention, one of the things she chooses to throw down at the car is fucking forks. Could be people <laughs> on the street below. <laughs> the body count in this is high enough without people getting getting impaled through the head from falling forks. <laughs> yeah. That would be an awkward moment. Like, but Laura still doesn't see. There's all these people lying around with like knives and forks looking out of their head. But like, it's just, I just, this, this big pile of forked dead bodies just like within yeah. the car. And at that like, point I'd just blame it on the monkey yeah <laughs> I mean it's probably worth as well like saying that um, when Kim dies so this is I think about the same sort of time that Sam discovers Tracy's body and he does this really overdramatic he picks up her body and he kind of carries her in his arms and this kind of slow motion he's slightly slightly catatonic and then like five minutes later he does the exact same thing with Kim's body downstairs he's like just picking up all these dead women and just carrying carrying them around with a slightly <laughs> dazed look on his face <laughs> Sam gets to Sorensen's office calls 911 and rather than stating the nature of his emergency and seeking help from professionals he realizes obviously that everyone's dead except him and instead has a crisis of conscience about it being all his fault which i think is extremely harsh but then goes in for a final standoff with shackman that i feel like has two stages and could probably have got away with having one yeah okay but i think that's kind of the second half of that film in a nutshell though isn't it is a lot of like walking from room to room somebody's attacked people walk onto a different room and they the logic and the motivation for it is a little bit woolly a little bit unclear so at this point it's kind of almost like it's a, a kind of almost like in a dream state where um, sam doesn't seem to have like the most robust plan it's more like i'm, I'm just gonna go mano a mano with this killer baboon which most sane people i think would be waiting for the police to arrive or getting onto the roof or whatever to, to try and escape yeah uh-huh he kind of tries to set up this kind of watery electric trap for shakma which we are largely led to believe works in that he baits shakma downstairs or 
at least to the room where he's kind of got this set up by putting a mouse in a cage on an office chair and leaving it in the doorway. Shatma comes down, he connects the wires, and we just cut to outside the building and hear an agonized baboon shriek. <laughs> um, and at that point, I was like, oh, the battle is won. Uh, Shatma has fallen. Well, yeah. No, um, it was a baboon lampoon, as it turns out. Shatma lives. <laughs> but as we build to this reveal, I feel like um, I feel like a lot of the later part of this is um, Sam wandering around in a daze, like for incredibly long periods of time at once. Yeah, it's odd, it's odd isn't it? Because like a lot of the other time, people are literally legging it up and down these corridors trying to escape, and he's just having a bit of a stroll, just having a little walk around, and Shakamar's leaving him alone, and he's like, you know, it's kind of slightly dreamlike. Guys, he's, he's bleeding <laughs> profusely from the jugular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose that that will take the spring out of your step, won't it? Is he is he bleeding from because he d- he does get attacked and he stabs Shakmar, but is that before or after the electrocution? This is what I'm talking about. The timeline of this is quite staggered because I think he go- like if I remember correctly, he goes downstairs, baits him. At this point, he's like apart from the injuries he already has, he's like mostly got it. But it's when Shakmar reappears. I also quite like the fact that um, when we see him kind of wandering around after we think that Shakmar's dead. The camera's following him, and you just think that the camera's following him, and it follows him mm. for a while, and then it kind of starts like scurrying towards him, and you realise that you've been watching it from Shakma's point of view. I quite like the fact that it holds off on that reveal just for a second. Shakma attacked. <laughs> but yeah, it's at this point. I think I think it's it's the fisticuffs that ensue <laughs> at this point, where he gets the ju- the jugular injury, and Shakma kind of scurries away. Um, it's at that point that we see him walking around for longer, and at this point, he's bleeding from the jugular, I believe. There's a weird moment here, though, where Sam kind of exerts his alpha status over Shakma because they have this kind of face-off. He's bleeding from the neck. Shakma's freshly stabbed, and Sam kind of rolls at Shakma, and Shakma runs away. Yeah, I guess you might wonder, is Shakma a bit intimidated by it? I kind of read it more like... You know, Shakma, bless him, had just literally been stabbed by this big kitchen knife that Sam's got. So maybe he kind of was temporarily retreating just to lick his wounds. Yeah, that, that tracks for me, I would say. I mean, <laughs> you know, a rare moment of logic in, a, <laughs> in the it's final just... act, but you know. Also, I'm glad, I'm, glad we're, uh, I'm glad we're landing a consensus on all the key points as well. <laughs> However, I do think that the way that Sam ultimately kind of... I'm not going to say defeats Shakma, because I think that the way that this is left, I think it's fair enough to call it a draw. Um <laughs> But um, I think that the actual final contrivance that he uses to kill Shakma with the better fake out is quite clever. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a li- I guess it's kind of a cliche, but I, I still find it oddly satisfying because you see it where Shakma sees Sam in the incinerator room. He starts bounding towards him. You get like a, a POV, or what you assume is a POV shot from Sam's point of view of Shakma galloping across the floor and leaping at the camera. Um, and Sam just kind of like smiling at Shakmar with this kind of dazed, almost like death wish look on his face. And then Shakmar hits him and of course it's the mirror and he goes crashing through and straight into the incinerator and then yeah, Sam slams the door shut and uh, that's that. Yeah, it's goodnight Shakmar and pretty much for all intents and purposes, goodnight Sam at this point. He kind of staggers out into the hallway, um, again wanders around for quite a while but eventually decks it <laughs> and, um, uh, and, uh, and mutters I won um, a few times under his breath um, which I think is largely a formality at this point because he's definitely <laughs> going to die. You have to look at his little victories, Mitch, because he's the only one who kept his face. <laughs> 
And in the end, doesn't that make him the real winner? Absolutely. His coffin, looking at him in his coffin is going to be a far more appealing proposition to his family than, say, Richard's family. Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, he's, he's the only open casket. That's like, that's the, that's the consolation prize. Yeah. But it's, um, not, it's not only that he says, I win. Like, him saying, I win, is kind of weirdly remixed into the soundtrack because he's shuffling around. So it's kind of like the song is almost like this kind of synthy remix of, I win, I win, I win, and he collapses. <laughs> It says, says I win. And then there's this kind of, the, the final shot is this odd moment where the camera then just pans up and looks at Shakamar's teddy bear, which is just sitting across the way from him. And it's like, oh, that's an odd odd image to land on for the closing shot. But yeah, it reminded me a little bit of um, the end of Saw 5, I think it is, where do you guys remember the final trap in that one where the victims have to push their hand into like a, either a buzzsaw or a jigsaw of some kind. That's and, right. Um, it goes in, like in between their fingers and then like cuts their hand in half and then up their forearm. And the idea being that they all have to give a certain amount of blood to escape. You know, just as like in, in Shakmar, you've got Sam saying, you know, I won when he's like bleeding out on the floor. That's kind of how it ends for those guys in Saw 5 where they're kind of flapping their freshly bisected forearms around no. going like we did it we made it and it's like did, <laughs> did you know did you know because dude like you know you've only got like a few drops of blood left in your body this isn't looking good for you it's like yeah it's like the minute you step outside that door you're fucked but with that we are out on shakma andy yes first watch for you your mm. impressions won't be my last i can tell you that <laughs> i i really enjoyed this i thought it was silly there's there is a point I, I think we touched on it where there is a bit of a sag where it is just people leaving a room and then immediately running right back into the same room because there's still a baboon out there <laughs> and it does yeah. get a little bit wearing to a point but i, I think shakma does a lot of things right and uh, i really liked it and yeah like i say i'll definitely watch it again and just think i could have missed this on my animal journey that i'm about to get involved in and i'm glad that i've seen it now yeah yeah i largely agree with what you're saying andy first watch for me as well obviously i had a lot of fun with this i think that the only time that i really feel like there's a sag in the momentum is the part that i mentioned earlier i think that the fact that the setup is so unusual makes the setup quite fun to watch yeah. and i think that like it doesn't feel at any point like it's dragging itself from a to b to get you to the point where the baboon starts eating people's faces. And when it does kind of lock into that part, like I say, it largely doesn't really let up. I think that the fact that it so resolutely doesn't stop for breath for so much of the time kind of works in its favour. You know, I really enjoy this. I would say that it's probably not my last watch of this either. And I think that, Tim, the way you described it as being this, this kind of like three in the morning, pals around, beers in type thing, I think it's like an absolutely perfect fit for that. And like, Everybody who hasn't checked this out yet, it's on Amazon Prime in the UK. And it's like, if you go into it with that kind of mindset, I would say you'll have a great time. Agreed. Like as much as I do love Shakma, you can't hand on heart say it's up there with like the very best of of the genre or anything. But but if you kind of go into it with that mindset of it, it is delightfully ridiculous. And actually, and one one other thing which it does have going for it is Typhoon, of course, and it is a, an actual baboon going absolutely like literally going ape for like a good <laughs> amount of the film. And you know, <laughs> where like maybe a lesser film would have been like, okay, we're gonna just do it all with prosthetics, all with puppets. Um, there's a fairly seamless blending of puppets with, yeah. with Typhoon, but like majority of it is Typhoon just absolutely losing it, tearing things apart, um, including people. I mean, frankly, who, do, who doesn't want to see that? Yeah, to the point that it's, like you said earlier, Tim, a bit concerning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Amanda um, Wiss apparently was terrified of Typhoon and you kind of look at it going, yeah, like, I can believe it. Like, you know, I was watching like an interview with one of the Shakma's owners who talked about like actually when 
they're filming that stuff where Shakma's ripping on the door. Like you couldn't have a cameraman in that room. They would like be setting up the camera and leaving it going remotely and just, just watching him going absolutely bananas because yeah, like it is a wild animal going wild. And, you know, as long as he, you know, he wasn't harmed and, and certainly from all accounts, there's no reason to think he was harmed. Yeah. It's kind of like fairly unique. I, I, I would struggle to see, think of another genre movie where you see that kind of, unfettled aggression in a, in a wild animal no i agree i agree but yeah i got like a great pick i think i like i'm really interested to know what the listeners think of this one to be honest yeah no, absolutely yeah i'm all, all about spreading the shack shack my love um with the world so yeah thanks for having me on guys hey, hey no problem and tim before you go as we mentioned earlier you're a freelancer for total film is there anything that's gone up lately or anything that you'd want to point people in the direction of because we'll share a couple of things if there's anything in particular that you haven't made yeah, thanks, man. I mean, you know, just follow Total Film on Twitter, uh, support the magazine, you know, because with COVID and all that, like, you know, we just want to make sure that we're supporting film criticism. So, you know, buy the mag, follow us on the social medias. Yeah, I've got like my genre website as well. So if you follow me on Twitter, feel free to check that out. Going to be covering like genre festivals, like um, upcoming Fright Fest and Grim Fest and that kind of thing. Sure. And uh, yeah. Cool. And uh, you want to just give people a shout on your uh, personal Twitter as well then? Yeah, cool. So I'll, I'm on Twitter on at Fats Coleman, F-A-T-S-C-O-L-E-M-A-N. And uh, my website is movingpicturesfilmclub.com. Great. Tim, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I had a great time. And thank you for uh, bringing Shakma into my life. So... As we approach uh, the commencement of your side quest, your Nature Gone Wild side quest, uh, seems very appropriate that we were joined by Tim Coleman and talking Shakma. I'm so glad we did Shakma, I've got to say. Something of a revelation for me. Like, it's not a great film, but it's a lot of fun. Massive thanks to Tim for bringing it along. Hey, you know what we should do? Go on. You know on our uh, Tea Public page, right, we've got that Don't Eat My Face or Genitals t-shirt that's got the baboon, the angry baboon. We should repurpose Mm -hmm. that as a Shakma shot. Oh, now you're talking, definitely, 100%. But yeah, big thank you to Tim Coleman joining us this week, talking Shackma. I would say between this and uh, Teen Witch last week, we've spent the last couple of weeks really digging into properly eccentric stuff, and I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Uh, more of that, please, guests. For sure, <laughs> yeah. Um, but with that, it is just about time to wrap things up for another one of these. However, we will be back on Monday, of course, with another mini-sode. So we'll be doing all the usual stuff on there. We'll be talking about what we've been watching. I will be getting ever closer to the end of the 90s side quest. Maybe this week will be the week that I finally watch Darkman. Who knows? <laughs> we will, of course, be playing Mitch's Pitches, taking a look at your feedback and letting you know everything that you need to know for next week's episode. And that is going to be a cracker as well. And you may have noticed that on Wednesday, we dropped a new episode of our A Look At series looking at uh, Psychotic on Shudder. Yep, we did. <laughs> but don't let that deter you because our, our Patreon's quite good. We've got a lot of good stuff on there. So please get involved. Please don't be put off by the fact that the past few things we've talked about have been extremely downbeat. I mean, yeah, that's uh, that's not unreasonable. But yeah, we are getting quite a lot of stuff up there right now and it is patreon.com slash scenes if you want to check out the Patreon. A few tiers there, a few things going on. We're also just lining up a patrons-only Zoom watch-along as well. Um, still time to get in on that, perhaps, if you're quick. But yeah, once again, patreon.com slash scenes for that one. We've flipped the script. Do you remember all the ways that people can get in touch with us? I can certainly try. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, we are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can find us on Twitter at StrongViolentPC. And of course, you can drop us an email to StrongLanguageViolentScenes at gmail.com. And don't forget our Facebook group, 
the Chud Locker, which I can't see, but I hear is pretty great. <laughs> Very well done, by the way. I think it must be about 100 episodes since you've had to do that. <laughs> I just, I've got this distinct memory of really badly fucking it up the last time I did it. Uh, I was going to say, like, I, I don't know if you've been practicing in front of the mirror or what, but that was pretty solid. <laughs> Thank you. We will be back this Monday with Minisode 123. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye, guys. started as a study of human aggression. It led to experiments on primates. But something went wrong. Christopher Atkins, two-time recipient of the National Association of Theater Owners Star of the Year Award. First for Blue Lagoon, now for Shockma. Also starring Amanda Wiss of Silverado and Nightmare on Elm Street. Ari Myers from TV's Kate and Alley, featuring Roddy McDowell as Professor Sorensen. And Shockma, shocking audiences everywhere. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain, production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. <laughs>